0: Welcome to Beyond Toast, Episode Three The Times They Are Changing. Welcome to Beyond Toast the podcast where Toastmasters talk about food. I'm your host, Mike Weston, and I'd like to start this week's episode with a reading. Food for Thought, a poem by a food bank client. I know what it's like to use the same teabag twice, to cut the mould from the bread, to rescue a slice. I didn't ever think I would be in such a mess, while working full-time for a living, while suffering from illness and stress. I choose to work to pay my own way, but have no spare money At the end of the day. The cupboards and fridge are empty, what else can I do? Throwing my three elderly pets in the street, it just wouldn't do. I don't have a partner for support, the children have grown and left home. No lurkage do I have that I can call my own. I do not have a plasmy TV, no tumble dryer here for me, no plush leather sofa or latest mobile phone, no holiday do I take or house do I own. So swallow my pride, I know I must do, So I visited the food bank who welcomed me within. As I wiped the tears from my face, rolling down my chin, food bank volunteers greeted me with a smile, sat me down with a cup of tea. I began to chat and told of my dismay at finding myself at the food bank today, not a penny in my purse that I could offer to pay. What more could I say? It's all right, the lady said, as I was handed a tissue. Don't look at being here as such an issue. So privileged and grateful, I felt, as I was provided with food. As if heaven sent. To have food on the table this cold winter's day is very much appreciated, I'm humbled to say. Food Bank, I thank you for helping me today. I had visualized the initial trilogy of episodes to cover three major themes. The first, obviously, memories and food and literature, entering myself into that Proustian bargain. The second, dealing with love and family and how food can mean both. I had thought that this episode would be themed around progress, how food had changed and how my experience of food had changed growing up, but then I looked around and I couldn't see as many examples of progress as I really liked, and it felt particularly poor taste to talk about progress when not acknowledging the fact that the use of food banks is on the rise, and acknowledging my good fortune in always having food on the table. So, I won't be making my usual Patreon joke at the end, and I would encourage you that if you're lucky enough to have a surplus or more than you need, that it could be worth donating to one of the food banks around, or perhaps visiting the Trussell Trust website. There'll be a link in the episode description. So, with all that in mind, let's return to the subject of progress. While social progress may not have reached the heights I would have hoped, I certainly can't deny the great strides that have been achieved by culinary science just over my lifetime. I mean, I really love the social history programmes which deal with food. Back in time for dinner, back in time for tea. And I always get a real satisfaction when they get round to the 70s and 80s and the families have to eat such horrible processed food. It's the stuff that still haunts my food memories to this day. The plastic, sweaty cheese, the aerated bread that would just squeeze down to nothing in your hand, the dehydrated meals that only worked because you didn't know any better. So it's fair to say that I hold very little nostalgia for the food of those decades. And while I salute those advances, I would have much rather not been a part of that particular march forward. But I have to acknowledge that without the rough, I would never have experienced the smooth. Much like my first taste of granary bread, with its crispy crust and springy body. Or the bite of a real aged cheddar. Or the creaminess of a real French brie. And on that note of change being an uncertain journey... Sometimes a rocky road. I'd like to spend a moment to consider my potential future journey in Toastmasters, and I'd like to begin with a bit of a tangent. I hate telephones. I have never liked talking to people on the phone. I miss seeing them and reading the body language and watching their facial expressions. Without that, I just feel I'm getting a tiny fraction of the communication and fear that I'm missing something vital and just throwing my words into the void. The advent of teleconferencing helped slightly, as I could see people, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I was just talking to a television. It felt so incredibly alien. I hated these non-personal forms of communication so much that instead of calling people I would make any excuse to pop round for a face-to-face or uh, calling a large meeting. And I could have happily continued in ignoring this fear and not facing it head on. But along came Covid and face-to-face meetings simply weren't on the cards. And everything had to be online. But fortunately, thanks to Toastmasters, this wasn't the horror that I had foreseen. I was getting plenty of experience week in, week out, going along to online meetings. And gradually over time, I could feel my revulsion and horror at having to sit and engage with screens begin to fade now I'm not going to say that my life has turned around and I now love the online environment because that would be a lie but the very fact that you're listening to my voice recorded now suggests that I'm making progress and gradually losing that fear and thinking of things that are lost brings us on to our food memory segment Food memory echoes the theme of progress, both in career, as I now had a little bit more disposable income, so that I could treat myself on occasion to visiting a Michelin starred restaurant, if only for the lunch menu, and the very fact that Michelin starred restaurants were springing up all over the place. The restaurant in question was Paul Kitching's 21212, and I visited it with my partner. Sometime in around 2010, not long after it had first opened. I have three abiding memories of that visit. The first was the concept. The restaurant was called 21212 because you had a choice of two starters, you had a soup, you had a choice of two main dishes, you had a cheese course, and then you had a choice of two desserts. While I don't doubt the food was absolutely lovely, this leads me to my second recollection that. All I can really remember of the food was that it had a lot of foams. I mean, this was 2010, so foams seemed to be very much the hot new thing. At least in all the food magazines I was reading. But the third thing, and the thing I really want to focus on, was the cheese course. Now, if you've listened to any of the previous episodes, you'll notice that there's always a certain tone of my voice when I talk about cheese. It's almost as if I'm part mouse. The Mouse by Jim Sitterly There's nothing quite like a piece of cheese to nibble upon for pleasure and ease. No matter the time or state of mind, greater joy than cheese you'll never find. Served on a cracker or a soft bit of bread, a morceau de fromage will please your head. Rochefort, camembert, brie or blue, served with fruit or in a fondue. God gave us cheese, a bit of heaven on earth, to lift our burdens, providing sweet mirth. And after all our daily work is done, we enjoy simple cheese just for fun. But remember the ancient custom of the house? we bind a kernel for the nocturnal mouse. Following that uh, mousy interruption, let's return to the restaurant. And the cheese board there ticked all my boxes. Farmhouse cheddar, check. Artisanal brie, check. Gooey gorgonzola, check. Ripe Swiss, check. And more besides, I was in cheese heaven. But strangely, what really sticks in my mind and makes this a much cherished memory was not the cheeses, but the crackers. Normally I don't really care about crackers, they're just a cheese delivery mechanism. But here... They were homemade and came in a variety of different flavours and sizes and coverings. A slight taste of curry here, a little nip of cardamom there, a a subtle bite of chilli and a crack of black pepper. They elevated what was already an impressive selection of tasty cheeses to a whole new level, creating a memory that just blocked out all of the other courses. I have thought many times of going back, but I had thought it had closed down. But just in researching for this episode, I looked up online and it seems to be going strong, so I can't really cause this a lost opportunity, other than the fact that under Covid, it's not going to be happening any time soon. So I will have to reach for some comfort to keep me through these trying times. And my choice of comfort food this week is haggis. Now, I'm fairly sure the more observant of you out there might have noticed the subtle clues in each of the previous episodes indicating that I am Scottish. So this is probably no great surprise. But it actually should be. For despite its place as one of the pre-eminent Scottish traditional foods I was never a great fan of haggis. And it is only over the last ten years that I have truly come to appreciate it. My initial distaste is somewhat understandable when you consider that the primary ingredients of haggis are the heart, lungs and liver of a sheep mixed with oatmeal and cooked in its own stomach. That alone might have been bad enough, but my first memory of eating haggis was at primary school where the haggis was served with its traditional neeps and tatties, or turnips and potatoes for those south of the border and this mix of dry, crumbly, instant mashed potato and wet, slimy, mashed turnip was enough to turn my stomach. And so I studiously avoided haggis on any menu for the next 30 or so years, until one day a friend cajoled me into having some haggis enchiladas, and it was that mix of the soft, succulent meat and the spices both from the haggis and from the Mexican ingredients, and I really, really enjoyed it. It was a fusion of cuisines I would never have imagined, but I really, really liked, and since then, I've never looked back. In fact, one of my favourite treats when I go back to Edinburgh is to go to a Mexican place off Nicholson Square called Illegal Jack's, where they do the most delightful haggis burrito. I would recommend it to anyone and for me, it ticks all of those comfort food boxes. Now, anyone with any passing knowledge of Scottish culture should have an inkling of what's going to happen next. And I don't intend to disappoint. But if you've never heard of a burn supper, and you find the next two minutes entirely incomprehensible, please check out the translation at the end of the episode. Address to a Haggis by Robert Burns Fair fa your honest sonsy face, great chieftain o the puddin race, aboon them a ye the you tack your place, pinch, triper or therm, Where are arry worthy of a grace as langs my arm. The groaning trencher there ye fill, ye hurdies like a distant hill, your pin would help to mend a mill in time o need, while through your pores the dews distil like amber bead. His knife's ye rustic labour dicht, And cut ye up with ready slicht, Trenching your gushing entrails bricht, Like on a ditch, And then, oh, with a glorious sicht, Warm, reekin, rich. Then horn for horn they stretch and strive, Till take the hindmost on they drive, Till all their wheelswalk kites belie, Are bent like drums, The old goldman, mast like arrive. rive, Be thank it hums. Is there that o'er his French ragout, or olio that would star a sow, or fricassee would macker spew, with perfect scanner, looks down with sneering scornful view on suck a dinner? Poor devil, see him o'er his trash, as feckless as a withered rash. His spindle shank a good whip lash. His neave a knit through bloody flood or field to dash. Oh, how unfit! But mark the rustic haggis fed, The trembling earth resounds his tread, Clapping his willy neve a blade, He'll make it whistle, And legs and arms and he will ned, Like taps o' thristle. Ye powers, what mac mankind your care, And dish them out their bill of fare, All Scotland wants nae stinking ware, that jobs and luggies, But if ye wish her grateful pair, give her a haggis. Now, I hope my recitation hasn't driven off any of my listeners, as I'd really like you to be here for this week's Mike's Eat of the Week. Despite the easing of the lockdown in London, I've not been particularly encouraged to rush out of the house and get back to the restaurants. And while delivery services have allowed me to indulge my cravings and support local restaurants, there's been one food. It doesn't really travel well for me. And that's dim sum. I imagine you're saying, but that's nonsense. Dim sum typically sits on the table for 10-15 minutes while you nibble and chat. So home delivery should make no difference whatsoever. And while I can't argue with that point, there's just something missing that I can't quite put my finger upon. Whether it's the location or the ceremony or the company, Delivery dim sum just doesn't scratch that itch. So this week I endeavoured to try and make some prawn dumplings at home. The results were decidedly middling, but there was enough there to fill that hole for the time being, and it really brought home to me that dimsungs are as much a art as a culinary science. And I'm hoping with all my heart that Chinatown bounces back after Covid, as I'm not sure I have the time to master it. But perhaps I should ask my guest for my fantasy meal for four, if that's true. Previous two episodes, I covered my first two guests, me at the age of 16 and me at the age of 30. My final guest is me at the age of 70, who represents both an opportunity and a paradox. After all, while it would be incredibly enticing to know one's future, it would also take away any pretense of free will. After all, you would just be following the track that your older self laid out for you, making you just an observer of your own life rather than an active participant. And I'm not sure whether that's a bargain I'd really be that interested in taking. Fortunately, as I wriggled on the horns of that particular dilemma, I'm sure the conversation would move on quickly and probably move to something best not talked about. Now, I've already discussed sex and politics, so this leaves only religion. I grew up in the west coast of Scotland, which was, and may still be, divided by sectarianism between Catholics and Protestants. As I came from a mixed family, my father was Catholic and my mother was Protestant, I was never accepted by either side. And I was left with the feeling that organised religion was really just an excuse for a fight. So I distanced myself from it and cloaked myself in the rationality of science. But it wasn't long before I encountered the same closed minds and rigid thinking, but this time it was militant atheists and radical humanists, which left me in the role of practising agnostic, keeping an open mind, being accepting of others, and giving time to listen, which is where I find myself today. Although I do fear that in today's heated environment, I doubt I would have had the opportunity to get through that whole description. Tensions would have flared and I'd be out in the street, cold and looking for something to get me through the night. Which leads neatly into our final Guilty Pleasures segment. Guilty pleasure this week is that great British staple the pork pie which is the very epitome of the rule of three you have the crust you have the jelly and you have the salted pork you have the smell of the crust that fatty pastry you have the texture of the rich juicy jelly and then finally you have the taste of the salty pork And pie perfection is achieved by reaching some balance between all these three elements. Often when one is eating a large pie, there's too much pastry or too much jelly or too much pork. And I found that the smaller ones, the the mini pies, are just enough to give you a mouthful and get all those flavours and textures all mixing together in one. And I thought this was perhaps pie perfection. But uh, Mars and Spencers have brought out these dinky pies. Just, you know, tiny wee things, just pop them in your mouth. Like little individual bites, little nuggets of pastry and jelly and pork. And I think they are the equivalent of pie crack for me. I have to struggle very hard not to rush out and buy them by the bucket load. I struggle to find a reading that would Capture my true feelings on pies. So I'm going to do the most unforgivable thing imaginable. I'm going to be incredibly self indulgent, it is the guilty pleasure segment after all, and read a poem I wrote myself. Pork Pie, a love poem. Can I compare you to a pork pie? Your skin, a golden glowing sheen. Is there anything fairer to the eye? evoking glorious dawn in Aberdeen. It's enough to make a grown man cry. The scent that from you flits rocks me to my very core. All my tingling senses hits. It's clear that you I adore, and I need you in my greasy mitts. A finger traced across your curves, your contours gently mapped, sets aflame my fraying nerves. Can I keep emotions capped? What need delay now serves? I chance a playful bite, brush my tongue on sumptuous belly. This feels so right, that subtle texture like jelly. I can no longer keep up the fight. Like a man starved I descend. Your shell before me crumbles, revealing its fleshy dividend, a sight that briefly humbles. To my hungry eyes a true God send. Upon your flesh I feast. With teeth and tongue and lips, like some raging beast, A primal moan of pleasure slips, as blessed as any godly priest. And in too short time we are spent, the passion's naught but embers, There are sighs but no lament, the moment's heat remembers, A fading memory of the event. You are gone, I look but can only see, the absence my heart sorely pains, but comforted that while you roam free, some part of you always remains within me. It seems strangely fitting that this trilogy of solo episodes should end in pastiche, as it rather neatly brings me back to the start of this podcast journey just in time to set off in new directions with the first guest episodes. So thank you for sticking with me while I found my feet and providing constructive feedback, which has proven invaluable. It's been an incredible learning experience just doing these three solo episodes and I can't wait to see what else there is to learn when doing the guest episodes. And I do hope you'll join me in that journey too. Before I head off into these new horizons, I'd like to thank Johnny Bismarck and the Fillings for the use of Do the Jelly Donut for our new intro and outro theme and encourage you to get in touch with any feedback through email at info at beyondtoast.uk or through Twitter, where you can find me at beyond underscore toast underscore UK. So until next time, goodbye and stay safe. Address to a Haggis Good luck to you and your honest, plump face, Great chieftain of the sausage race, Above them all you take your place, Stomach, tripe, or intestines. Well, are you worthy of a grace As long as my arm? The groaning trencher there you fell. Your buttocks like a distant hill, Your pin would help to mend a mill In time of need, While through your pores the Jews distill Like amber bead. His knife see rustic labour wipe, and cut you up with ready slight, Trenching your gushing entrails bright, like any ditch. And then, oh, what a glorious sight, warm, steaming, rich. Then spoon for spoon they stretch and strive, Devil take the hindmost, on they drive, Till all their well-swollen bellies by and by are bent like drums. Then old head of the table, most like to burst, the grace hums. Is there that over his French ragout, or olio that would sicken a sow, or fricassee that would make her vomit with perfect disgust, looks down with sneering scornful view on such a dinner? Poor devil, see him over his trash, as feeble as a withered rush, his thin legs a good whiplash, his fist a nut. Through bloody flood or fields to dash, Oh, how unfit! But mark the rustic haggis fed, The trembling earth resounds his tread, Clap in his ample fist a blade, He'll make it whistle, And legs and arms and heads will cut off, Like the heads of thistles. You powers who make mankind your care, And dish them out their bill of fare, Old Scotland wants no whorey stuff, That splashes in small wooden dishes. But if you wish her grateful prayer, give her a haggis.